walking with you through Matthew, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would help reveal to us new things about what might be to some a familiar story. We all, everyone here is here by divine appointment, and we all have something to learn from your word, through your spirit. Lord, we pray that it would all be to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. He is the majesty and the glory, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will come again to finish what he has started. Let this time magnify his very name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Which I know for some of you, you're looking at me like, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to be doing something? Because we usually would be reading the passage today. But if you did your daily reading today, um, I didn't want to inflict that list of names on any reader and have them read all of them. So we are going to forego what we normally do here. Lord willing, we'll be back at that next week. And I'll, um, and I'll, and I'll ask somebody to read the passage. But hopefully you did read the passage. And we're, if you have not heard already, we're starting into this series in Matthew where we're talking, calling it the kingdom of heaven. But I want to start with our first talking points question, which is on the back of your bulletin insert. When you hear about kingdom, what kinds of things come to mind? When you hear kingdom, what comes to mind? A king, majesty, what? Castle, good. I heard somebody else. Salvation. Okay, and even in an earthly sense, there was serious truth to that. Michelle, beauty, power, protection. I wrote down a few things too. How about, so, um, how about subjects? Like to have a kingdom, you have to have not just a king, but you have to have subjects to the king, like people, right? Like um, you also have to have, in some sense, like we heard castle, but land, area, um, like a, a, a space. We, you also um, have, and here's, an, here's one I didn't hear mentioned, you have an enemy. Like, like by definition, if there is a kingdom, then there, there seems to be, at least in our experience and in the heavenlies, there is an anti-kingdom, right? And all of that is true in, in the kingdoms of this world, whether you're talking about the royalty of, um, of, of the um, United Kingdom of, of England, or you're talking about um, other like kingdoms that have come and gone throughout world history, but it's also true in the heavenly kingdom. And, and guys, what, what I'm hoping we get out of this series in Matthew more than anything else is, is that the kingdom of heaven is more real than anything we're living in right now. I, I, I understand that that is almost impossible, if not actually impossible, for us to really embrace and internalize, but that the kingdom of heaven, there and then, here and now, is as real as anything or more real than anything else we can possibly experience. And so we're going to jump into the series called the, um, um, called the Kingdom of Heaven. If, if you've been here for a while, you know that we don't do a lot of really deep background when we launch into new books. First, let me just say, I am so glad we're back in a book of the Bible. Like, I, I, I mean, we finished up Romans, we did a 10-week summer series on what Christians believe. Guys, if, if you weren't here for parts, for, for some of that, I want to encourage you to get on the podcast feed or, or on the website and listen to the ones you missed because I, those messages are, are critical for us to engage in kingdom building. But I'm, but I'm so glad that we're getting back to the steady diet of just being in a book of the Bible. I mean, I, I love it as, an, as a teacher, but I think it's also just edifying for the church to go, I know where we're going because the Holy Spirit has told us where we're going 
through the Word of God. And so um, I'm excited for that. But we're gonna. But as we're in this series, we're gonna be spending a lot of time talking about kingdom. The the, the Gospel of Matthew was written by Matthew, and 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 I. Um, and, and we're going to let some of this background unfold as we go through the, the different series, the different messages. But I just want to, I do want to at least get this part out of the way for those of you that don't know, because I don't want to assume anyone's like state of knowledge. Matthew was a tax collector, right? So he was Jewish, but he was a tax collector. Now, now we'll see a lot of that play out as we go through the, his, the gospel that he writes. But as he's writing this, understand what that meant. What that meant was he, was Matthew had al- aligned himself with the wrong kingdom. Matthew had aligned, by becoming a tax collector, he had aligned himself with, the, with not the people of God's kingdom, the Jews, but he had aligned himself with the Roman Empire, that kingdom. Which, the reason I share that is to say, guys, it makes him the perfect person to talk about kingdom. Because he knows from his own background how important it is to be aligned with the right one. Because he had aligned himself with the wrong one. So he talks about kingdom and king more than any of the, than all of the other gospel writers combined. He writes, the reason the Holy Spirit inspired him to write was to tell us that Jesus is king and that he has come to reestablish his kingdom. And we're going to see that. You're going you're gonna to tire of hearing me say the word kingdom as we go through this series. Because it is it is all over this, um, and we'll see a little bit of it, it is all over this gospel, but it is also um, massively important. So what we're talking about today is, um, is that we're going to start the series kind of as an introduction to Matthew, going through the, the genealogy a little bit, talking about this idea of what does it mean, thy kingdom come? Like, and why should we even pray, thy kingdom come? And we talk, and, and that was prayed through in our prayer time, and we even just sang a song about it. But, but why, why does it matter to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? In addition to just the fact that, oh, by the way, Jesus told us that that's how we're supposed to pray. But why? What, what, what is it about the kingdom that is so important for us to understand? And, and I, I want to... Um, I wanted to start at the very beginning. So, so if you would, before we, um, if you would just open up your Bibles, find the Gospel of Matthew. It's your first, it's the first book of your New Testament. And, and before we jump in even to the first verse, I just want to point out a couple of things. Probably at the top of your, of, of your page, it says something like, the Gospel according to Matthew. Now, I just want to let you know that, that that heading was not in the original manuscript. Now, there were headings in the manuscript, but all that the heading said um, in, in the original Greek manuscripts that, that were written by Matthew, is it would have said something like katamation. All it means is according to Matthew or from Matthew. It doesn't say anything about the gospel according to Matthew. The word gospel, euangelion, was added later. It's not wrong that it was added, but it was added later because the idea, the, all Matthew was doing was recording his narrative of what happened of his experience with christ we turn we we have called that the gospel but we think of the gospel in a lot of different ways we think of the gospel as rightly so jesus came lived died and rose again for you that's the gospel message but when we kind of take that and we go the gospel according to matthew is we is we think okay so where so where is the salvation story in the gospel of matthew and it's certainly here but Matthew wrote the, this book that we call the Gospel of Matthew for reasons that go above and beyond just the salvation story. 
and I, and I don't even like it as Adam prayed that even. We don't like to even say the word like just our salvation or just the salvation story. But he wrote to tell us about the kingdom of God. It was, the, the word gospel is just an announcement for the good news. It's just an announcement about Christ according to Matthew. So if you were to summarize, like, why would Matthew have written his gospel? It would be something to the effect of, um, he wrote an account of Christ being the king who has reestablished his kingdom. That's ultimately why he wrote his gospel. So now let's look at the, verse, the first verse, and let's see how he starts. Because he's going to drive this point home right from the beginning. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now let me just back up for a second and say, so when he starts with the book of, it's, it's, it should right away convey to us, hey, there's a story to, that's going to be told here. This isn't just a list of, this is a story about, this is a narrative about, this is a historical account of what happened to, in the life of Jesus. Now look what he says. The, the book of the genealogy. Now, now the, reason the, word, the, re, the reason that word is translated genealogy there is because of what comes right after it. Like what's listed right after verse 1. The, geneal, the, the spiritual genealogies of Jesus. Not the biological, not the, not the earthly human genealogy of Jesus. That's listed in the Gospel of Luke chapter 3. This is the spiritual or kingdom, like kingship, um, genealogy. But that word, guess what the word genealogy is in Greek there? It's the word Genesis. So he's not, so so Matthew isn't just talking about like family tree. He's talking about origin. You could actually in fact that same exact word Genesis in Matthew's gospel is translated birth in the scene we're going to look at next week. In verse 18, when he says, now the birth of Jesus is as, it is the genesis of Jesus is as follows. And it's this idea of origin or, um, um, or fulfillment is ultimately what that word genesis would have meant. And so he says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, now if you don't know the Old Testament story, you might be like, well, eh, but, but why, does, why does Matthew start there? Is that where the genealogy of Jesus starts? The, the, the son of David, the son of Abraham. No. So why does he start there? Because, because he's writing to the Jews, for, and they would understand those two are the two biggies. To the, Abraham was the father of all nations, but the fa their father, and David was the king. Like He was the, 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 um, the type of Christ in the Old Testament that we think of as the king. So that's certainly true. But guys, ultimately it's because the, the story of Christ doesn't start with the New Testament. Like Jesus, the, the incarnation, his, his, his indwelling in physical form, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, tabernacle among us, John 1.14. That is certainly the birth story, and we're going to get there next week. But guys, under the, the story of Christ goes all the way back to the very beginning. And so part of why John, or Matthew starts here is because the story starts with David and Abraham is because the story doesn't start here in the New Testament. It actually starts prior to Abraham. And so, um, and so we'll, we'll hopefully get there in a few minutes. But, um, but before we do that, I just want to point out again just how important this idea of kingdom is to Matthew specifically. Matthew uses the word kingdom of heaven or the phrase kingdom of heaven um, something like 36 times in his gospel. He uses the phrase kingdom 55 times. 
That's more than all of the other gospel writers use that phrase or that word than, than all of them combined. Now, the, the reason he uses kingdom, he uses both kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in his writing, but he, he favors the kingdom of heaven part because his audience, the Jews, would have understood the kingdom of heaven as God's kingdom. They wouldn't have understood it as the kingdom that is coming. They would have just understood it as God's kingdom is the kingdom of heaven as opposed to the kingdoms of this earth and, and, and where they are. But I just want to show you, just do a quick flyby of, just to give you a flavor of some of the 55 times that, that Matthew talks about the, the, this idea of kingdom. So turn, if you would, um, quickly to chapter 3, verse 1. So I'm just going to read a few verses. Um, to not, we're not going to read all 55. We're only going to read a handful. But I want to show you like the different ways that Matthew talks about this idea of Christ the King and the kingdom's coming. In, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now turn to chapter 5, verse 10. In what is called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the blessedness, one of the Beatitudes is in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments or teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking. Now turn to chapter 6, verse 9. This is where Jesus is teaching us to pray. Pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Look at verse 33 of chapter 6. But seek first, again Jesus speaking, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Turn to chapter 12, verse 28. And again, I'm just giving you, like a, uh, like this is like the, the sampler platter of kingdom in the gospel of Matthew. Chapter 12, what did I say, verse 28? Chapter 12, verse 28, he says, But if the Spirit of God, if it is by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because he is the king, he's the representative of the kingdom. Turn to chapter 13, the last chapter we'll look at here in this little overview. There's, it goes on and on, but chapter 13, verse 10. Then the disciples came and said, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, verse 11, I... Um, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, guys, internalize that for a minute. To you, as spirit-filled believers in Jesus, it has been given the, seek the, the, the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom. Jesus says, he says that the prophets long to see what you guys see. And, and yet we so flippantly, don't, we don't even talk about kingdom anymore. Like, it's part of what, yeah, we'll get there as we go along, but it's part of what drove me to thinking, man, we really need to be in this gospel because we've got to get back to this idea of talking about the kingdom that really matters. And then he says, um, so, so, so look at verse 19 of chapter 13. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that's the word of God, and does not understand it, the evil one has come and snatched him away. So he's talking, this is the, this is the, um, the parable of the sower. And he goes on in verse 24 to talk about good seeds. And he goes on in verse 31 to talk about the mustard seed. And he goes on in verse 33 to talk about leaven and how the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like 
leaven. It's like a treasure. It's like the pearl of great price. It's like um, a net. Like he's, he uses all these different analogies to talk about this idea of kingdom. Why does any of that matter? Because it mattered a lot to him. The kingdom, he spends so much time, Jesus, he spends so much time talking about kingdom because the kingdom is what he came to redeem. That's it. Like what happened at the rebellion. So we were created as image bearers of God. We were, we were made in his presence and, and, and lived in his presence in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then in Genesis chapter 3, there's the rebellion. And we are driven from the presence of God by our sin. Not by a cruel God, but by people. We ran from God, literally. And we're still running from God as little sinners. And the whole rest of the story, so, so, so later in Genesis chapter 11, God chooses Abraham and says, Abraham, from you I'm going to make a nation. And then Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob, and Jacob has Joseph, and they go off to Egypt. And then 400 years later, as the kingdom is building up, as he's incubating his people, he raises up Moses to lead them out of the kingdom and to teach them about what it means to worship a holy God. And so we get things like the Ten Commandments and the law. And then, and then oh, by the way, finally they're like, hey, we, we wanna, we're going to establish a, the full kingdom. They're in the land because, of what jo- because Joshua helped them or conquered the land. And they raise up finally, after a whole bunch of messy history, they raise up David is risen up as the, the kind of prototypical king. He's as close as they get in, in all of the Old Testament story to Jesus. And David was a mess. Of a man. I love him. Can't wait to meet him. A mess of a man. I mean, just like the, the sin of Bathsheba was, with Bathsheba was, was my, was, there are no degrees of sin. It wasn't even his worst, frankly. And yet he is the prototype of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Why does all of this matter? Because Jesus, because Jesus is trying to show us through Matthew that the kingdom is what he came to reestablish. Because after the kingdom fall, falls apart, David's son Solomon dies, the kingdom falls apart, they raise up some, there's some 39 kings of God's people. From, from the time, of, um, from the time of, of Solomon's death until the time of the, of, the, um, of the return, when they rebuild the temple, and then there's 400 years before Jesus comes back, there's 39 people that are supposed to be modeling what kingship looks like. Out of the 39, there are four or five that, that are even close to decent people. And even they messed up massively. Hezekiah was a mess of a man, and he was one of the best kings of Israel. Why is all of that in here? All of that Old Testament history is in here to show us our desperate need for the king to come and reestablish his kingdom that was lost in the rebellion. And someday, he will come and restore it all back to the way it was in the garden. That's the gospel story. Warren Wiersbe says, Matthew was, has selected material from Christ's life and arranged it to convey one specific truth. Christ is the king of the Jews, rejected by his people, crucified for the whole world, and now alive in heaven. That, that is the goal of Matthew in this gospel, is to show Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords who came, lived, died, reestablished the kingdom here on earth, and is going to come again and finish the job. That was his passion. And because Matthew knew firsthand how, 
how wrong it was to align yourself with the wrong kingdom, this, wasn't, this was really personal to him. Matthew tells the story of Jesus' life, not chronologically like Mark and Luke do, but he tells it through these five narratives. So we get to these really long um, like sermons, like the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, which, Lord willing, we'll get to sometime in, I don't know, October or November at the rate we'll probably go. And so we're going to, um, so, so he, he tells this long story like the, of Jesus' teaching, and then he kind of fleshes out what that looks like in the life of Jesus. And then he does the same thing again. And he does that five different times, not chronologically, but to build to a point. He starts with something simple like, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends with the, like the, um, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25 when he's talking about how when the king comes back, he's going to judge the goats and the sheep. That's all part of this amazing narrative that, that he talks about. So, so let's start into this idea of why should we pray thy kingdom come? Why does all of this matter? Guys, because I, 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 when, I, when, I, when I, I was really excited about doing Matthew, and then the enemy started chirping in my ears, we even prayed about like as, as the weeks were approaching, and I started going, but with everything going on in the world, like with all that is happening in our culture, with all that we see going on in our own lives, with, um, with everything, you know, coming out of COVID, and the economy stinks, and, and um, the racial tension, and the um, and the, the, the struggles with um, LBGTQ stuff. and is, this, is, is the gospel of Matthew really where we need to be? Like, and I had almost convinced myself, no, we probably should do something else. We probably should do something that's more, like do a book that's more practical. Like maybe do Malachi or something because that's the mess of a time and we can, we can really punch things home with Malachi. Or maybe we'll get to Malachi someday, I don't know. But the Lord just convicted me that the answer to all of those problems that I listed, the economy, racial tension, oh, but I didn't even mention this one. How about politics? Right? Like, oh, we're just, aren't we all looking forward to 2023, 2024, the, the election? Like, aren't we all looking forward to that? Like, really? No. Right? And so, so, sorry, but I, I won't get off on that, on that. But, but guys, what I realized and what the Holy Spirit just revealed to me again and again and again was, there is there, the only answer to all of those problems is to look to Christ, is to hold Jesus up to your own heart and to the hearts of these people and let them see him and his kingdom to constantly counteract all of the worldly king because all that other stuff that I listed multiple times is being controlled by the God of this world who is Satan. And, and his kingdom is, is coming to an end because the king will come again and we if even if it's just for a couple hours on a sunday guys we need to be our souls need to be reminded that this kingdom that we see is not really what's real it's the kingdom of god guys we will i heard a few people pray pray this way um during our prayer time i say this often we will not be any we will never be closer to heaven this week than we are today Right now, today, as we gather as God's people, especially on a day like today where we're going to have a discussion time afterwards and share a meal together. Guys, this is what heaven will be like. And we need to be reminded, like Asaph did, we need to be reminded that it is good to be near God and that being with God's people is where we really experience that best. And so, so with that, that's ultimately um, 
why we're going to be in this. So why do we want to pray thy kingdom come? One, we want to see the king come. Right? There's only two points here. We want to see the king come. So second talking points question before we, before I, we talk a little bit about that. I'm not going to ask for answers out loud. I want you to just think about this. If you're honest, I mean really honest, how far down a list of wanted things would you have to go before seeing Jesus showed up? Don't answer out loud. How far down a list of wanted things? So if, so if I were to sit down with you before I ask this question and let you have time to think about it, and said, hey, so what do you want? Like, what's your heart longing for? What are you pursuing? How, how far down the list would your mind have had to go before you went to see Jesus? That's what my heart's longing for. Like, shamefully, guys, when I wrote this question like a week ago, it was way too far down that list. Now, I had some good, I mean, I, you know, I'm longing for, you know, a, a strong marriage. I'm longing for a good family. I'm longing for more gospel impact. I'm longing for, but like, so, and then there's some other things. I'm longing for the, the new greatest whatever, you know, smartphone, or I'm longing, it's not really some, one of my things, but, it, well, it can be. But, um, but you know, like, there's all kinds of just ridiculous stuff that you put on life. And, and then I stop and go, wait a minute, why is my heart not longing to see Jesus? Yeah, ask people this question. So what are, you so what are you most excited about going to heaven? Who are you most excited about going to heaven to see? And almost always they'll put a loved one. Their spouse, if, you know, or their parent or something like that. Shouldn't our answer be Jesus? Right? It, sorry, it is just so hard for us to keep that front of mind top and center. Or um, uh, front and center top of mind. It just is. And, and I don't really even know why that is. It just... It's part of the deal. So we're going to just real quick, who is Jesus? In case you don't know, like who is Jesus as it relates to the king? So look at, look at verse 2, like two, verses 2 through 63. So it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. We are going to hit on a few of these in, in just a couple of minutes. But guys, what the, the point that, G, that, that Matthew's making is that, that in his genealogy, it is not the birth order, it is the spiritual genealogy. It is, he is showing, it's, it's why the gospel of Matthew is the first gospel in our New Testament. Because he's taking the whole Old Testament story that I just talked about, and he's pulling it forward through the genealogies. So the genealogy is not meant to be a historical document, it's meant to be a tool for him to say, guys, this is the king that you've been waiting for. And I can show you that he, that he is because of who he was descended from. Now, John tells us in John like 1.11, he says, he came, he, Jesus, came to his own, the Jews. And the Jews did not receive him. But to as many as do receive him, to believe in his name, John says, he has given them the right to be called children of God. Because they were born not of, the, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, not by their own will, but by the will of God, John says. So ultimately, the, the, the situation is, who, who is Jesus? He's king by his earthly lineage, but more so by his spiritual lineage. And that's ultimately um, what he's going to refer to. Matthew, Matthew to, to sort of take this lineage and expand on it, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than 100 times. More than 60 times he directly, um, he directly quotes it. Over 100 times he, just, he, he alludes to Old Testament stories. That, again, that's more than all of the other gospel writers combined. 
Why? Because what he's trying to convey is this whole story, people, has always been about Christ. Right? So Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, he, or in 2 Corinthians. He says, for all of the promises of God, all of the Old Testament promises is what Paul would have been talking about then, find their yes in him. That is why through him we utter an amen to God for his glory. And it is God who established us with you in Christ and anointed us and he, and who has also put the seal on us and given us his spirit as a pledge of our guarantee or some translations will say a pledge of our inheritance he's saying that Jesus all the promises of God found their yes in Christ when you come to believe in Christ all of those promises are applied to you through the power of the spirit and that is given to you as a promise that his kingdom is coming that his will, and so that leads me to my next point. So where is Jesus now? So who is Jesus? He is the king promised of old. So where is he? Well, he said, in, in John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. John 14, 1 through 6. And Thomas is like, yeah, or, um, no, is it, is it Thomas or Philip? Philip is like, no, it is Thomas. He's like, he's like, what? where are you going? We don't know the way. And he's like, no, I'm the way. Like, I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one's getting to heaven except through me. That's ultimately the, the gospel message. But he's gone to prepare a place. But not only has he gone to prepare a place, he's also preparing us. And we talk about that a lot here. So, so where is this kingdom of heaven? I love the way John MacArthur says, it's up. Where's the kingdom of heaven? It's up. How, why is it, how, do we, how is it up? Because it always comes down. Whenever you hear it talked about in the in scriptures, like the kingdom of heaven is coming down. So that means it's up. The answer is, it's, it's, not, it's somewhere, right? It's, it's in some other dimension, to use our verbiage, right? But it's, this, but it's also here. Why is it also here? Because it's at hand. Why is it at hand? Because you're here, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. So we, we talk about this a lot, so I'll just do this quickly. We, we, we are in this space between the already finished of John 19.30 and the not yet fully accomplished of Revelation 21. So we're in this space between the already. We have already been saved. We've already been redeemed. We've already been sanctified. We've already been all the things. And yet we're also still down here in this, but it's not quite finished. So I still struggle with my sin. I'm still I'm still fighting this thing out. We're people caught in the middle of that space as Christians. So ultimately, he's doing two things. He is prepared, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth through you as it is currently being done in heaven, but it's both. We're a both and people. We are not sitting around here just trying to ride this thing out until his kingdom comes. We are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power for kingdom glory. We are kingdom people meant to live by kingdom power, Holy Spirit power, for kingdom glory. Now, not wait. We, we preach a gospel of individual salvation, and one of the byproducts, and, and absolutely everybody has to come to Christ on their own. Like That's an individual thing. You're not saved because you're here. You're not saved because of the family you're born into. You're not saved because you're Jewish. You're not saved because you're, you're, you're saved when you come to know your need for Jesus and you respond to his work in your life. That's how you're saved. That's how I was saved 20-something years ago. It's how you can be saved today if you're not his. But, 
But we have so preached this idea of an individual Jesus. Go back and listen to last week's message of the importance of the church because the church is the kingdom at work here today. Right? That, that we have lost sight of this idea that, that so what that, that, what that tends to do is, hey, I'm saved, so now I'm just going to either hunker down and ride this thing out, or I'm just going to keep living like I always was living because I'm saved. Both of those things are massively not biblical. And we can talk more about that if you'd like to, but we're not going to do it right now today. Look at your last talking points question. It says, how are we to be used by God to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So I'm asking, how are we to be used by God? Be good subjects. I love the use, the use of that word. Good. Be good. So, what do you, so what, is, what does that look like, being a good subject? Awesome. So I, I don't know if you could all hear that, but so having my mindset on the king, learning more about him and his kingdom, and then see, and being used by him to lead other people into the kingdom. Guys, we talk about this all the time. If, if God's, if Jesus' end game for you was your salvation, this room would only be full of people who were not yet saved. If you're a believer and you're sitting here, he has a purpose for you here, or he would take you home. We think that somehow our salvation is about, oh, he, he came to save me, I'm saved, that's great, and, and, and then eventually I'll bring him glory in heaven. No, he wants you to bring him glory here. Because he know, if it's all just about you bringing him glory, the minute you're saved, he'd take you home. Because you will bring him more glory there. So all, we all will. Because we won't be struggling with this junk. But that's not his end game for you right now. I mean, his end game is eternal glory. But the process is here and now. Like he is conforming you into the image of Jesus through the struggle. Not in spite of the struggle. So we need to embrace the struggle a little more than I think we do. It's also why, to Jeff's point, it's also why our tagline as our church is, when we changed our name to Cross Train a couple years ago, was training people to teach God's truth. Because we believe that we are supposed to be kingdom people expanding the kingdom. And the way we, what we believe is we do that through the word of God. So get involved. Get involved in our D groups that we're starting up. We got the, the sign up sheet should be is in your bulletin um, for our D groups, dinner slash discipleship group. Um, get involved in the training center. There's all kinds of opportunities to to be trained to teach God's truth. And so get involved in those things if you can. So why do we want to pray Thy Kingdom come? One, we want to see the King come. And the second thing is we want to be used by Him to see His will be done. Guys, I, I, I've used this for a long time in our family. I've, I've talked about it. I've even used it here at church. If not you, who? If not now, when? If not you, who? If not now, when? Right? If, if we really want to see his kingdom come and his will be done, wh why do we keep blaming him for delaying? That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. We are what he is doing in the world today. And if not you, who? If not now, when? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. So jump down to verse 17. We're going to come back up and pick up some of the genealogy here in just a second. But jump down to verse 17. 
It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ were 14 generations. I love how he takes this, this picture of, of, this, of the spiritual genealogy of Jesus, and he's showing us, like, through God's story, from the call of Abraham, he starts with Abraham, Luke starts with Adam, actually, but he or finishes with Adam because he works backwards, but he's from, from Abraham to David, from David on to, um, on to Jesus, because that's the, that's the line of Christ. Now, ultimately, um, God, is, God is always using people, like, like, like his plan, to see his kingdom come, his will be done. I've, I've been driving that point home. But here's what the enemy does to us. And again, I think I heard this even prayed, which I love how the Holy Spirit does this kind of stuff. That's why I say it, I mention it. Because in my mind, as, as we're having our prayer time, I'm like, wow, that so fits with today's message. Wow, that, and you don't know that when you're praying it, but the Holy Spirit does. And so one of the things that, that was prayed during our prayer time by several people was this idea of like, yeah, but who am I? Like, like why is this so hard? Yeah, but I am broken. Yeah, but I don't. Guys, Hebrews chapter 11, the, the faith chapter. Right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's the writer of Hebrews telling us, here are the biggies in, the gene, in, in, like in our faith. By faith, Abraham went. By faith, um, Moses um, led. By, like, on and on. It goes through. Guys, most of those people would not be allowed to be leaders in our church today because of what they've done. Understand that. I mentioned this earlier. Out, out of the, so, so, so you look at this list of names that are listed here in this genealogy. Guys, Rehoboam was a horrible human being. He's listed, I'm just picking a few, he's, he's listed in verse 7. You know who's even better? Manasseh. Manasseh. Guys, we're talking, these are the kings of God's people. They're sacrificing children. These are the people that God has chosen? Like, these are the biggies? And the, guys, understand, you will never be ready to be used to see his kingdom come as will be done. Like, you're never going to feel ready. Yeah, okay, so I've been in God's word every day for 20 years. I, every single Sunday, every Sunday afternoon, I'm like, that was boring. I'm making no sense. Right now, I'm hearing the, I'm hearing the voice in my head. The whole time I'm up here, I have two voices. I have, I'm just hearing this, like, like, you're not making any sense at all. These people are completely lost. It's just hot in here. Let's get to the meal. And then the next, and then, and, but, and then, I'm, and then I'm reminding myself of, but this is who Christ has made me to be, right? And so, guys, understand, like, that, that is a wrestle. You will never, you'll never go, well, when I, when I get done with that, then I will. You will never get done with that, ever. So let it go. Let the dream go. Just embrace your need for Christ to share Christ. Right, like that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate end. Now I want to show you a couple, but here's, I, I would be remiss in not pointing out some, some of these names that, that, he, that Matthew lists on purpose for a purpose. So look at verse 3. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Who is Tamar? Who is Tamar? Anybody know? A prostitute, well no, she was, um, she wasn't, that's coming up. She was Judah, from the tribe of Judah. She was Judah's um, grand um, daughter-in-law. So I'm sorry, so, I'm sorry. She was Jacob's daughter-in-law. She was married to Judah. 
Judah from the tribe that Jesus comes from. But here's the thing. Tamar was a Canaanite. So when a Jewish person, when, Ma- when Matthew wrote this, would see Tamar, they'd be like, oh. first of all, for, for, for there to even be women listed in a genealogy in the time that Matthew wrote would have completely discounted the genealogy. They would have said, the, the, the people would have said, wait, you, you don't put women in genealogies back then. There are no, like, historically, that just wasn't a thing. So not only does he put a woman, but he puts a woman who's of a tribe that is the enemy of God's people. Now look at, um, look at verse 5. We've got to keep moving. Look at verse 5. And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute that helped God's people conquer Jericho. But not only was she a, but she was of the enemy, and she was a prostitute. And a woman. And Matthew lists her. Now, now keep going. So, so this is, to me, this is, this is Matthew's way, or the Holy Spirit's way of saying, I, I'm going to list a Canaanite. In a minute, he's going to list a Moabite. I'm God of, I'm the Savior of all people, not just the Jews. And, I, and because I'm listing a, a bunch of messy people, I'm the Savior of all kinds of people, especially the messed up ones. Because the only people Jesus saves are the messed up ones. Right? Because we're all messed up ones. That's it. So keep going. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 5. Uh, sorry, verse 5. And Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And then he says, uh, and, and then, um, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. Again, they were, I mean, portrayed beautifully in Scripture, in, in, in the book of Ruth. But she was an enemy of God's people, or, her, or the Moabites were. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And so there's this, there's this, um, there's this, um, the, the King David part. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who was the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. How did Solomon get born? Or, like, or, how, or how did that marriage that ended up bringing Solomon happen? Adultery and murder. And, and God's not hiding that. He's bringing it to the first verses of the first part of his New Testament. Why? One, he's, he is intentionally exalting women to a place of honor. Guys, and this, understand this. Like, the, this whole idea of, like the, like, the Barbie movie, misogynistic, you know, that, 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 that Christianity is just putting on. Now, there are things in our Christian past that, that we need to deal with. There are absolutely t- places and where, 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 where the role of women was not, um, was put down in, in very over, overhanded ways. But understand this, Christianity has done more for the rights of women than any other movement on the globe. Do not buy the enemy's lie that somehow the Christianity and the church oppresses women. Have there been times where that, have there been places where that's happened? Sure, that is not the norm. Right here proves it. But the other thing is, it's showing like, like these are messed up people and so are the dudes. They're all a big train wreck. Guys, get this last thing and we're, gonna, we're about to land this plane. We go into our time, but we're going to have a song and a time of discussion. Guys, understand this. If, if Matthew's goal, because this, this is what you're hearing from a lot of the new atheists out there on YouTube, and um, is they're saying things like, well, how can you believe the Bible? Because it's just a, it's, it, was, it was written as a bunch of made-up stories to control people. Like to, to get people to think a certain way, to believe a certain way, to control people, that they even connected to the misogyny thing. It was a way for white men to control ethnic people and women, all those things. Guys, if you were going to, if that was your goal, 
If that was your goal, you would not start the New Testament this way. It is exactly the opposite of that. And, and even if Matthew wrote it this way, if the church over the time, and well, you know, we can't really trust how the Bible came together because it's been changed over time, they would have gotten rid of this. Why? Because of what I just shared. Because it's showing that God is a God of all people, all ethnic groups, all messed up people. And oh, by the way, he embraces women too. Like it's, it's you would not, if you were trying to convince people of something, start with this story. This was one of the things as a God-mocking atheist that led me to believe the Bible was true. I'm like, if, if it really was changed over the time, then the people who changed it had to be idiots because they left in all the bad stuff. I mean, what I mean by bad stuff is stuff that makes us look bad, right? So, so either this is the word of God or the people who wrote it are, were not very smart, right? In which case, what are we, I'm just trying to be say that nicely to the, to the kids that are in the room. So, why do we want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? One, we want to see the king come. Guys, the, the same king that came to redeem is coming to restore, right? And the gospel of Matthew is going to unfold what that restoration looks like, right? And the redemption and restoration looks like right up until Jesus leaves at the end of the book, right? And he is going to come again. And the other thing is, while we are here, we want to be used by him to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Guys, as the music team comes up and we, and we close in our last song, I just, if, if you're sitting here today and you're going, you know what, I'm not worthy, I don't, I don't feel like I'm ready, you are exactly where Jesus wants you. Yeah, but I'm, the, I'm a mess of a dude. Like, you, you have no idea what I've done, Doug. You have no idea what I did this weekend. You have no idea the kind of struggles that I have in my brain. You have, guys, understand that th that's the only kind of person Jesus wants to work with. If you're sitting here today going, I've got my act together, and man, I'm just glad I'm better than those people, you're not making any room for Jesus. He, is, he can't work with that. Right? Why do we want to see, why do we want to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Because it is the will of God for this world. Guys, we, God's people, hold the only hope the world has. Should we not share him? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for um, the truth that you have not left us here alone. That you have given us your spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. That, that we can pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because we are a people of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that, that we would keep our eyes on the king, on the one who was and is and is to come, the almighty. And I pray that we would be looking for where he's at work in our world, because, because you are. And we would join you there. I pray that we would be a people that would pray for kingdom glory, that we would live for kingdom glory. And that we would be even be willing to die for kingdom glory. Die to self. And, and even go to the hard places and die physically if that's what you've called us to. Because, not just, not because we want to be martyrs, but because we know what really matters. That ultimately the end of the story is glory. And Lord, I'm, I'm excited to get to that place even in the Gospel of Matthew. But until then, 
Lord, I pray that we would just find time to rest in who you are, what you're doing, and what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name.